Our scripture lesson today uh, comes from 1 Peter. Uh, it is a very short but very difficult verse to live out. Uh, let's do our best to live into it this morning together. Honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. That's going to be a great photo. Take a picture of a cab. Why don't you watch where you're going? Miss Redhead, could you take her a picture? I don't know. Who takes the bus? Oh, I'm not touching that camera. I don't want swine flu. Does the soup have any dairy? And I'm cold. Can you turn down the air conditioning? I don't know, but what fun question. My daughter is a comedian, technically. That's one of the reasons I don't have grandchildren. And you have to laugh. (laughs) I can't wait to die! Oh, excuse me. The show's over there. You're my family. You're my family. You're my family. I know. (laughs) Difficult people. They're everywhere. They've even made a show about it on Hulu. We do not recommend that show, but it is funny. So we we just want you to know that difficult people exist. Did anybody know that difficult people exist? They might be in your family. They might even come to church. They might even come to this church. Difficult people. We are finishing up our sermon series on difficult people. And what do we do when we find difficult people in our lives? Or what do we do if we find out that we are difficult people ourselves? How do we live into that? How is the church different than the world? This was certainly the case in the early church, around 60, uh, Peter would write to the early church. And, when, and we, we talk about writing to the early church, whether it was James that we looked at at our last series. Uh, we learned and still learn here in Peter that when the, the author is speaking, it's speaking not just to you, but to y'all, right? To usins, to the church as a whole. So together we do things that we could not do alone. We live lives worthy of our calling, not in isolation, but together. Uh, We've been taking some of our cues of how to do this in this world, in this time, uh, from this book, uh, Mastering Civility, a Manifesto for the Workplace by Christine Parath. I recommend it to you, uh, particularly if you might have some difficult people at your work. This is a really uh, good book to work through. It it has some assessments of, am I a difficult person? What do I do? How do I do it? Um, She doesn't write from a Christian perspective, uh, but it's helpful. Uh, I recommend it to you. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. And I want to share some of the research that she's done. First of all, she writes that 95% of people that they polled agree that we have a civility problem. Would you agree with that? That we have a civility problem in our country, in our world. That the things you see from our leaders, hear from our leaders, uh, see um, at the football field yesterday or the soccer match, um, that it wasn't all that civil from time to time. Would you agree with that? Some of the things that were expected uh, of people, um, like not calling people names, um, it was was normative. Um, That seems to have gone out the window. Uh, These sorts of things that that really I grew up with as an elementary school person, um, pleases and thank yous and standing in honor of someone, um, all these sorts of things um, are not the same. Now, I know at at this point I sound like an old, old man, Um, but it seems like there's been a shift. And part, I want you to know this because we don't talk about this a lot. One of the reasons that I named this church Acts 2 when I had the opportunity was because I believe back in 1999 that, that by the time we got to this point, that the church and the world would look more and more like the early church than it did my grandmother's church in 1954. And I think that's coming to pass. That the culture continues to be more and more secular. Uh, it continues to care less and less about the church. And then sometimes it actually opposes um, what we're trying to do as people of faith. 
that we're, we're now in a different spot to where the church has a calling to live really over and above and different than the world. Engaged in the world, but not of the world, Paul would say in other writings in the Bible. Now, so as an example, uh, Prath says that uh, when, when you, if any of you are going to lunch this afternoon, be really, really nice uh, to the people that are serving you. Why? Well, here's, here's the thing. Because uh, performance of a disrespected worker drops 50%. If you're ugly to your server, you're going to get worse service. Right? Not only that, um, the people that come to church at 1045 are going to get even worse service. Because if they go to the same restaurant and you disrespected them the first time, they take it out on the customers that follow. Not to mention, you don't know what they're doing to your food in the back. Be nice to them. Right? Be very, very nice. To the people that serve us. Now, here's the other thing that, that just really difficult to get our minds around. And that is almost everything you read in the New Testament, um, certainly after the Gospels, has this belief that Jesus is going to be back on Thursday um, in ways that are much, much different than the world was supposed to end yesterday, if you followed any of that. Right? And, and, and Jesus said, imagine this, that if you're one of the disciples or you're one of the followers of the disciples or you're the nephew of one of the disciples... You know that you've walked with Jesus. You've, you've heard him teach. You've, you've seen him in person. Uh, he was in public ministry for three years. And then he says, I'm going to go to my father and I'm coming back soon. Well, friends, if, if your husband or wife says, I'm going to Walmart and I'm coming back soon, you don't think 2,000 years later. Right? I mean, you think this afternoon or at, at, at most tomorrow. You don't think not in my lifetime. And so when we read these things in the Bible, we have to remember that anything that happens pretty much after the Gospels, right? Acts, Romans, all the rest of it, certainly in First Peter here, that people understood that whatever you were going through, we were to hold on. We were to be a light to the world because Jesus was coming back. And while it's a struggle for us to live in that place now, 2,000 years later, after that, it's also true, and it remains true, that it's a very good way to live. Because while you don't know when Jesus is coming back, it may not be in your lifetime, uh, but it is absolutely true that you're going to go see him in your lifetime. And we never know when that's going to be. None of us do. And so it's still a good way to live. So um, how we behave as individuals and certainly as a collective is super important. And that's partly what Peter is saying. Now, just to give you a frame of reference, um, what, what is he trying to get across? Um, one of the things, I don't know if you remember the story from about 10 years ago, um, there was a horrific accident um, involving uh, an Amish family. Um, and, and all the news crews came around, and they really expected uh, this Amish family to just lash out and talk about how horrible these folks were. And what they found was the Amish were forgiving people. They had already forgiven the perpetrators, and they were blessing them and caring for them and blessing the family of the person who had perpetrated these horrific acts against them. And the world stopped. And, and it felt like, at least for that weekend, for a few days, that the world got a little kinder a little gentler. They're like, wow, there's something about those Amish folks that they take their faith seriously, that they don't lash out when the rest of the world says that we should. And, and in a sense, if, if you needed sort of a metaphor for what Peter's calling for, it's for that kind of love, that kind of transformation where we as a community are living differently together than the whole rest of the world so that we would be that city on a hill. We'd be that light for the world. We would be forgiving people where everybody else was being hateful. We would not use incendiary words when the rest of the world does that. Does it make sense? 
And so they look at us and they go, we don't know those Acts 2 people, but whatever it is, I want to be a part of that. There's power there. There's love there. There's grace there. I want to be a part of those kind of people. I don't know how they got there. I don't have it all figured out, but I want to be a part of that. There's something very real and lovely and winsome about it. So how do we do this? All right. How we behave. Just go ahead and and sort of think about your own life. Um, Around here, we like to check fruit, but don't check other people's fruit. Check your own fruit. Okay? So... Here's a tricky one. Do I interrupt or dominate conversations? Now, for those of us who are extroverts or in leadership positions, this is a tough one, right? Particularly when people are saying stupid stuff, <laughs> right? So, so you, have to, you have to ask yourself, am, am I being difficult here? Uh, for all the introverts, they're like, yeah, you so-and-sos. No, don't, you don't get a pass. I mean, you'll, you'll have some stuff too, right? Um, but this can be very difficult. Uh, think of yourself. The last meeting you attended, uh, did you interrupt someone? Secondly, do I use insidious or belittling words? This, this, is, this is one of those things um, where, and, and just, this is just more transparency than I should probably say uh, this morning, um, but you'll notice that we don't ever take uh, prayer concerns from the group as a whole. We, we never do that around here. And why is that? Because sometimes if we're not careful, even our prayers or our prayer concerns can accidentally belittle others. You know, bless Susie and Don. They're just having such a terrible time in their marriage. That's just terrible. Their kids are a mess. And I think he's about to lose his job. And, and just pray for them. You see how that works? It's got a lot of religious language on it, but it's horrible. You would never want to do that to somebody. Right? You want to never belittle someone, especially not in Jesus' name. So you have to be really careful with our words and make sure even if, if it's really hard to know if your intentions are pure, isn't it? Sometimes. You have to be really careful with this. So we don't want to ever use words that others might think belittle someone else. This is, can be difficult too. Do I differ with others without demonizing them? I think there's been a significant shift since the internet about this. It used to that you could disagree with somebody, but now we disagree with them and then we call them a name. Or, or we, we label them in a, in a category that really makes them other. This is super dangerous, people. Super dangerous. I actually came across an article yesterday um, where um, Christians from other countries now say that they think we're in a pre-genocidal moment as Americans because of the language they hear that we use about entire groups of people, that these are the sorts of things people heard before places like Cambodia, Rwanda with the Hutus, that it's very, very dangerous when we hear this sort of thing. When we're demonizing other people, particularly entire groups of people, it's really dangerous stuff, friends. We can't do it. We can't be a part of it. And we have to stand against that. Then this one, do I apologize immediately? This is hard for me. It takes me a couple of weeks to think, do they really deserve an apology? Right? I don't know if you've ever lived there, but that you just have to move through that and say the, the, the apology is not about so much right and wrong as it is about relationship and brokenness and healing. The apology is about making things right again. Uh, one of the things that really is, is troubling and why we're doing this sermon series is because what I find, per, particularly in religious talk, is a lot of right fighting. A lot of right fighting. Does it make sense? Do you all know some right fighters in your family? You see something like, I'm, I'm going to right fight that. I'm going to argue about that. And what I find is that folks that are right fighting, that are holding on um, to a grudge or a piece of information, is that 
and this, tell me if you've seen this differently. I've never seen a happy right fighter. Just miserable folks. Upset and angry, uh, often bitter because they're holding on to something. But oftentimes that very position keeps us isolated and alone. And then for folks that maybe are not so outgoing, um, here, it's just a different way of asking the question, are you passive aggressive? Do you actually show up and do what I say I'm going to do? Or do you just, you know, other people talk and you just let all that go by, you're not engaged, you're not paying attention, and then you do whatever you want to do anyway. That's a very difficult thing. It's very aggressive. It's very mean-spirited. Um, because the thing is, if you say you're going to be someplace, you've got to be someplace. If you say you're going to do something, you've got to do something. Right? It's, it's just simply a di- another way of being a difficult person. Uh, it's not so in your face, but man, you really blow people up, blow up relationships doing that. And, and some of you know this. Uh, I had a good counselor share with me one time, uh, and they said, you know, Mark, you're always going to get your time back. You're always going to get your time back. You're going to take your time wherever, you know, wherever people do what we want to do. And so the more honest we are about what we really want to do, we say we're going to do, we need to do. And if we don't want to do it, we've got to put our big girl boys and pants on and say, I don't want to do that. I just don't want to do that. And I'm not going to do that. And, and friends, let me, let me just tell you this. This is the truth. It is not Christian to tell somebody with a smile that you're going to do something that you don't want to do and then not show up. That's a bad witness. It's a much stronger witness to say, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. And they'll say, well, why not? And you say, well, I don't think it matches my faith. And you can do that lovely and with grace. Um, but friends, when we just flat don't show up, we don't do things, uh, it's really hard on our witness. Does this make sense? Oh, now everybody's upset with me. Okay? Now, this is a self-assessment. We, we all do this. So what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about living at a time that is difficult when, when the government does not do the things that we think it should do? Now, this is important that we understand this. Friends, Constantine did not come to power until 325 A.D. What that means is Jesus died in 33 A.D. So there's roughly 300 years where the church... Uh, not only survived, but thrived and doubled and tripled and, and had exponential growth with no expectation of any help from the government or any agency whatsoever. There, there was no governor that helped them. There was no president that helped them. There was no mayor that helped them. There was no DHS. There was no nothing. Everything that the world had was set up over and against the Christian movement. Okay? So this idea, this fantasy that we have today that somehow um, the government has to do what we want or it has to be filled with Christians, would be absolutely beyond the imagination of the early church when we grew the fastest. Now think about that. There was no expectation of the church whatsoever that any leader at any level had anything to do with, with a Christian ethic. Okay? So Peter writes into that culture and he says this. Friends, this world is not our home. No. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. It's not who we are. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. That's fairly contemporary, I think. Live what kind of life? Exemplary. So not only are we going to live, we're going to live in a way that's an example for the rest of the world that doesn't get it yet. Live an exemplary life among the natives, meaning the people around, so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Notice that we're not living exemplary lives so that we can say, nah, 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 I told you you were bad people. It's not like that. We live exemplary lives so that they can be brought in into the kingdom. 
as a part of our witness. And so Peter says very clearly, the world is not our what? No, we don't, we don't belong to this world. We belong to Jesus. The president is not our true allegiance. Jesus is our true allegiance. Every king, every prefect, every president, every head of state sits underneath the realm of Jesus and our citizenship in heaven. So we have citizenship in heaven, and then we have citizenship to the state, and we have to learn how to live that out well. So in the state, we're not to be difficult so-and-sos. We're to do what? We are to live exemplary lives. We are to do better. And you see this over and over again in the Old Testament with the Jewish tradition. You see Joseph being a great leader, going over and above. You see Daniel going over, being a great leader, over and above. And you have these examples that they lived in such a way that they set the example for the world. And people are like, wow, there's something different about these guys. There's a difference about Joseph. There's a difference about Daniel. We want to be like them. So Peter goes on to say, for people who are really struggling in a very difficult context, he says, make the master, Jesus, proud of you by being good, what? Citizens. So Jesus says, um, he takes a coin and he says, hey, whose head is on this coin? They say it's Caesar's. And he says, well, pay your taxes. I mean, if you, if you want to know what Jesus says, he says, pay your taxes. That's what he says. But we also give God what belongs to God. All honor, glory, and praise, our tithes, our offerings, our service, our whole lives. So then, not only are we good citizens, but then what do we do? We respect the authorities. We do. Now, friends, again, it's really important. This is smart living. When you get pulled over by the highway patrol, respect them. Seriously. Otherwise, you're going to be a really bad YouTube video. Right? I mean, seriously. You need to respect the authorities. It's good for you. It's good for your children. It's good for your relationships. It's good for our witness. We are to respect the authorities even when they're off page because it's still good for us. Respect the authorities, whatever their level, whatever their level. They are God's emissaries for keeping order. Now, governments are to do two things. They are to punish evil and destruction within the community and they are to approve and lift up things that are good for the community. And they can do that without a Christian ethic. That's what governments do. And so Peter is saying, look, if you've broken the law, expect to go to jail. You don't get a pass because you're Christian. You don't get to pray to God and go, hey, I know I shouldn't have been doing 85 in the school zone, but, you know, I'm a believer, so don't give me the ticket or throw me in jail. You're going to jail. Okay? And, and so they understood this in a way that, that's difficult for us because it hasn't been in the water for us in the same way. No, no, all these levels are God's emissaries for keeping order. It is God's will that by doing good, that's all of us, we might cure the ignorance of the fools who think you're a danger to society. People would look at those early Christians and go, whoa, 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 these are dangerous people. We don't know what they're doing and what they're about. So the bottom line is this, be a good citizen and respect authorities. Friends, this is first grade, right? This is first grade public school. Be a good citizen, respect authorities, it's Boy Scouts, that's what it is. What's difficult is we now live in a democracy at a time where when this was written, they were under the boot of Rome. Okay, these were an occupied people. And so it doesn't, it doesn't translate perfectly, and I understand that. And, and we have the ability to voice and have our First Amendment rights, but we need to do it as good citizens, and we need to do it respectfully if we're going to have a good hearing and have people understand what we're really about. 
So friends, it was beyond the imagination of the early church that any human governing authority would be Christian. just wasn't in their wheelhouse. They didn't expect it in any way. And I would remind you that this is when the church went from 12 to 120 to 3,000 to some sociologists now say that by 300, Christianity was more than half the population. It had gone from nothing, this tiny little sect, to more than half the population in the Roman world. And some would even argue that that's why Constantine bent the knee to the cross, because it was the only way he could stay in power. Because the Christians had grown and grown and grown and grown because of their witness to the world by their faithfulness to God. So, 1 Peter 2 goes on. It says, for, sorry, for it is God's will that by doing right, we should silence the ignorance of the foolish as servants of God. We're going to live as free people, yet we don't use our freedom as a pretext for evil. We use our freedom and our power that God gives us to do good, to serve others, to be helpful. So, use your freedom in Christ to do what? Good. Serving others. That's what we're supposed to do. And then we get to this very difficult line at the end of this argument. And I, w- I want to show it to you in three different ways so we don't miss it. The NIV says it like this. Show proper respect to everyone. To who? Really? I mean, come on. Everyone? Yes. That's what the Bible says. Read it with me. Show proper respect to? Everyone. Man, that's hard, isn't it? It's hard. To everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, there, there's a the literary thing that's going on here where there's an inside piece and an outside piece. The inside piece is that we're to love the family of believers, which is a higher calling, and fear God. Okay? The outside piece is that we're to respect everyone and honor the emperor. So there's this outside piece and this inside piece. The NRSV says it like this. Honor, again, say it with me. Everyone. There it is. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And then finally, the message kind of boils it down that says this. Treat, say it with me, everyone you meet with dignity, love your spiritual family, revere God, respect the government. This is who we're to be, friends. If you take all three together and you boil it down, it's this. Say it all with me. Respect everyone always. Really. Respect everyone always. Now, if we live that out, that's going to be different, isn't it? I mean, if we actually pull this off, we might be the only place in America that's doing this. If every person that ever steps foot on our property, we respect them, we honor them, we help them. And friends, I don't, I don't, I don't always want to do this. Do you know how many water bottles I pick up around this place after having hundreds of soccer players and football players? I mean... You know, it's difficult to, to pick up a, a water bottle and a cap and, you know, somebody's Coke and, and, and go, God loves you, and go throw it away. And, you know, if you clean up after thousands of people a week uh, that have no respect for, uh, for your, you know, your graciousness and hospitality, it can be difficult. It can be difficult. But this isn't something we do alone. We don't do it in our power. We do it in whose power? God's power, the power of Christ. And it changes the world. So... It's very simple, very hard to do. We, outsiders and rulers are to be what? Honored. Honored. They're to be honored. We're to bless them, pray for them, honor and respect them. Insiders among us are to be what? Loved. Now, when we say love, we don't mean mushy, gushy, hollow, you know, Hollywood love. What we mean is this. 
If another member of the church sins against you, if you get your feelings hurt, if, some, if your relationship's broken, you go and you point out the fault when the two of you are alone. You go and you handle it quickly. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you're not listened to, you take two or others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Here in this place, we're talking about in church, if you get sideways with somebody, go talk to them immediately. Don't gossip, don't talk to anybody else. And if somebody comes to talk to you about somebody else, the first question you ask is what? Have you talked to them? And if the answer is no, say, don't talk to me until you've talked to them, right? We're going to work in dyads, not in, not in triangles. And then if that doesn't work, then you come see me or Andy or Creighton or somebody on our staff, uh, some people in your small group. And we say, hey, I heard you guys have a bump. How can we work this out? What do we need to forgive? How do we need to hug it out? What are we going to do? That's what we do. Now, I would remind you that these words that we're reading are not from Peter. They're from who? From Jesus, our master. So, so these are serious. So then, after you take those along with you, right, if that member refuses to listen to them, and that happens sometimes, tell it to the church. Now, in our system, in the United Methodist Church, we have a group called Staff Parish Relations Committee. And if you go to a friend and you can't work it out, and you go to your small group or to the pastors and they can't work that out, then what I need you to do is I need you to talk to me uh, and I'll set up a meeting with our staff parish relations committee because that who does, does this work for us, right? It's the only closed group that we have in the church so that it can be confidential. Uh, but the most important thing is that we're moving towards reconciliation. We're moving towards being together. And we have a process for that. And I wanted you to know that we have a process for that. There's no reason that anybody should ever have to leave our church. There's not. We're supposed to work things out one-on-one, if not, through our small groups and staff, if not, then through our committee that's that's lifted up to do that exact thing now if even that doesn't work jesus says let such one be to you as a gentile which was a non-jew not in the not in the group or a tax collector now this is where it gets really interesting how did jesus how did jesus interact with gentiles how did jesus live with tax collectors what did he do with them He went to the cross, friends. God so loved the world. Gentiles and tax collectors. So even if the whole thing goes south and you cannot seem to get reconciled, know that our position is still one of love and forgiveness and grace and sacrificial honoring. It's who we are. It's who we're called to be. That's who our master is. God is to be reverenced, soberly respected, and feared. We're to do what he says, do what he did, and that's what Jesus does. So, here's the trick, though. Christine Press says, when it comes to incivility, people tend to kiss up and kick down. Isn't that true? So when we're talking about this, it it can't just be about the people that you think are at your level or up. This is about everyone, right? This is about everyone. This is about our witness to everyone, every single person that we come in contact with. So our action steps are these, friends. I want to invite you to think about this code of conduct. Our, Our leaders and staff have already agreed to this. Uh, and I pray that you will as well. When we're around here, we're going to greet and acknowledge one another. When you come in, you're going to say hi. Um, and it doesn't matter if the person makes eye contact or not. You can go, hi, 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 hi. We're going to greet one another, acknowledge one another that we're here. We're all children of God. We all have the image of God in us. We're going to say please and thank you as the norm and expectation. Uh, and if any of us don't do that, just say, you know, please. Yeah, absolutely, please. Thank you. Please and thank you. That's our expectation. We're going to treat one another with respect, of course, as we love one another. 
And when we do it, this is the tricky part, we're going to be direct, say them with me, direct, sensitive, and honest with one another. Now, if I'm being honest, I'd love to have a direct conversation with you on Tuesday and a sensitive conversation with you on Thursday. But that's not how that works. Our conversations are to be direct, sensitive, and honest all at the same time. Okay? And we're going to address incivility immediately. Okay? Immediately. If you'll do that with us, that's a part of what Acts 2 community is about. Uh, we hope you'll sign your little, um, you know, just sign your little paper there. And have it with you. That's a, just, yeah, I'm a part of that. Uh, and if you don't want to be civil here, please talk to me about that. I'd love to know why. And I'd like to know who you are. Okay? Now, let's flip it over on the other side. What if we're the target of incivility? In, in I mean, what if somebody's just on us? I mean, what, what, if, what, if, what if somebody's really dogging us and they just have it out for us? That happens sometimes. Happens to me. We have to ask these questions. Am I physically safe? This was absolutely important to the early church because most of the time they were not. And that's largely why I think Peter and Paul and James said, don't do anything. Don't do anything right now because there were not structures in place. Now, particularly if you are a woman or a child in an abusive situation, know that this is different today than it was. In Peter's day, uh, if you bowed up against your husband, they would kill you. So they said, just stay where you are. Jesus is coming. Today, if you're in a dangerous situation, get out. We can help you get out. We know where the YWCA shelter is. We know the police officers. And we do have a Christian ethic in many of our institutions still today. And they will help us get out of these situations. Make sense? Slavery is over, right? We're not going to be about that either. Because now we have paths to freedom in ways that the early church did not. Does it make sense? So, so one of the questions is, am I physically safe? So you got to think about that. Whoever you're crossways with right now, if somebody's being uncivil, you have to ask the question, am I physically safe? If the answer is yes, then go to this one. Was the behavior intentional? Friends, some people are just stupid. They just do stupid stuff. And there's a big difference between stupid and evil. There just is. Okay? So you have to ask yourself, was the behavior intentional? Uh, and if the answer is no, and they're just having a bad day, or they're just off page or whatever, you got to let that go. But if you know that they were be, being uh, uncivil, um, and you were experiencing incivility intentionally, the first one's yes, you're safe. The second one's yes, that was an intentional move. Uh, then you have to ask one more question. That is, was the behavior unique? Are they like this all the time? Because if they are um, addressing it's not going to do you any good. But if you're safe... You know it was intentional, and it's unique. It's not like their normal, everyday behavior. Then we want to address it, and we want to address it like this. We want to be brief. That's one of the biggest problems when we address things. People go on and on and on, and then we're just beating on people. That's not helpful. We want to be brief. This happened. You want to be informative. This is exactly what happened. And if you can write it down, even the better. Uh, when I was in seminary, um, we, were, we were told that any time there was an issue, you would write it down as fast as you could exactly what happened so that you could say to the person, this is, this is what happened in my experience. So you want to be brief, you want to be informative, you want to be what? Friendly, right? This isn't getting even, friends. You're trying to reconnect the relationship. You're not trying to beat on each other. And firm. And so it spells out Biff, which I just love because he was such a nasty character in Back to the Future. So just think of Biff, right? Same with me. Brief, informative, friendly, and firm. But again, friends, only if you're safe. Only if you're safe. Don't try this with, with folks that you don't feel safe with. Okay? Because we don't want to get you in a, in a spot that's dangerous for you. 
Is it safe? Was it intentional? Was it unique? And if it was, then you've got some hope in, in um, bringing that together. Make sense? Um, it's very important work that we do um, because what the church cannot afford is for us to live just like the world. Anytime we get upset about something, we bolt. Anytime something rubs us wrong, uh, we post it on Facebook. Anytime we disagree with somebody, we demonize them. Uh, the world just won't accept that, and they shouldn't because that's not of Christ. These things are of Christ. It's very difficult to do, but we can do it in Christ's power and holy name. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are with us, that you have taught us how to live well and with one another, and to live in a world um, that may not hold the same values that we hold, certainly not the values that you hold and lived out before us. We thank you for your love that led you to the cross and to the resurrection. We thank you for the power that is yours, even over death, and we pray that you'd help us to live into that, into our true home, eternal with you in the heavens. And we ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.